So we want to take a moment briefly to share our theological and biblical beliefs that influence our open and affirming posture tonight. Well, I guess I should say this is some of my theological, uh, biblical beliefs. And it certainly isn't an ex exclusive effort, exhaustive effort, and I don't expect it to, be pr to persuade anyone, but I do think it would be helpful to take some broad strokes that show where we are coming from. On the card you were given when you walked in are resources that go deeper, and I encourage you to check those out. Uh, I've got th three points, and the first point is covenant relationships. I believe that the Bible is all about committed covenant relationships and fidelity. That's why humans aren't meant to be alone. And so I'm old school. I'm all about marriage. Uh, and I'm all about marriage where two people seek to love one another and two people seek to serve one another. Now, there are multiple examples throughout the Bible that speak against and prohibit relationships that hold unequal power dynamics. The Apostle Paul seems to go out of his way uh, on many occasions to break down power structures between people. He says, there's no Jew or Gentile, no slave or free, no man or woman, but all are one in Christ. Most times when homosexuality is mentioned in the Bible, uh, it's especially in the New Testament, it's describing uh, a relationship where there is this significant power dynamics, where one person the older person has the power and the younger person is submissive. So while there are these examples prohibiting a relationship built on power dominance and power submission, there are no examples in scripture that prohibit committed same-sex loving relationships. Relationships built on loving one another and serving one another. And certainly Jesus made no comments about same-sex relations uh, at least covered in the Gospels. Which brings me to my second point. You might respond by saying, yes, there's a lot of things that Jesus didn't cover. Agreed. But he did give his followers this system. This system in which to weigh everything on. And he said, everything should be about loving God and loving one another. And so we have this system that we ask ourselves, is this loving to God and is it loving to one another? And if it's not loving God or if it's not loving one another, then it's not in the way of Jesus. For a long time, the church has used this model of uh, hate the sin and love the sinner. And I truly believe that this model is based out this effort to love one another. But in my time and in my conversations with friends who are queer, this does not feel like love. It feels like hate. It feels like the love is conditional. That you can be loved by us, the church, if you conform to how we are. You stop being you, and you start being like us, and then we will have a loving relationship. But when you love someone, they shouldn't feel hated. And if that's how it works, we're doing something wrong. When you love someone, the goal would be they feel loved. <laughs> if my wife came to me and said, I and the kids don't feel loved by you. And if my response was, what do you mean? I'm working 80 hours a week to provide this, this lifestyle for you all. She would respond by saying, 
Well, I should probably first start by saying, look, I will make a lot more money than you. I don't need you to provide for me. But she'd go on to say, it seems like you are in love with your work and you hate spending time with us. We need you to show that you love us by being with us and being present with us. And if indeed I really did love my wife and my kids, I would change the way that I was. I would change the way that I interacted with them. I would change my understanding of what it means for me to love them. For too long, the church, church's relationship of love with the queer community has been conditional. It's been on our terms. If I'm going to be a loving husband, I need to listen to how my wife needs to be loved and love her in a way in which she feels valued and fulfilled. If I, need, if I want to love my kids, I need to listen to how they need to be loved by me and love them in a way that they feel valued and fulfilled. And if I'm gonna be a good Christian, I need to listen to how the queer community needs me to love them and love them in a way in which they feel valued and fulfilled. The third one is the spirit at work. I must admit that I had and maybe still have some trepidation around being a part of the first generation of my tradition to hold an open and affirming theology. I do not take lightly the fact that our generation has overturned the belief that marriage is only between a man and a woman. It should be humbling for all of us that we have been able to redefine and expand our understanding of marriage, that which was held for tradition by pretty much all of humanity for all of millennia. That's significant. We shouldn't just brush that off. Some of us uh, are, are pastors and we, for me and Ara, we are part of a denomination and a few years ago, um, we were given the opportunity to vote whether we as a denomination wanted to expand our definition of marriage. And I carried this weight around with me. I'm the third generation Presbyterian pastor. And who am I to go against the tradition of my ancestors? And I was reading this story in the book of Acts. In the 11th chapter of Acts, the apostle Peter has this vision and in front of him are all these things that would be unclean for a good, God-fearing person to eat. And Peter would have known these things because generation after generation, it would have been crystal clear through the teaching of their scriptures and through the teaching of their tradition of what is clean and what is unclean. It would have been crystal clear through the scriptures and through tradition of what is righteous and what is profane. And as Peter is looking at all this food that is clearly unclean and profane, the voice of God says to Peter, take and eat. And Peter, a good God-fearing, Jesus-following person, said, never, never would I partake in something that is so profane in which the voice of God responds, do not call profane that which I have made clean. 
Peter continues to resist, but God insists. Peter, eat, and do not call profane what I have made clean. Immediately after Peter and other Jesus followers end up at this house of all these Gentiles. And in this house of Gentiles, they are living a lifestyle that is profane. Profane by the definition of the scriptures, profane by the definition of tradition, and profane by the definition of the law. And Peter and these Jesus followers enter into this home. And they see all these people. And they are amazed. Peter and the other Jesus followers are amazed that these people that scripture and tradition define as profane and unclean are unmistakably filled with the Holy Spirit. That they have the Spirit of God within them. Friends, I and a number of other faithful Christians have heard the voice of God tell us, stop calling profane queerness, stop calling profane same-sex marriage, because I have made it clean. And not only have we heard the voice of God, but we've seen the Spirit of God in our brothers and sisters who are queer, and we've seen the Spirit of God in their marriages. And I wonder if they've seen the Spirit of God in the church. Now, there are theologians who know what they're talking about, who agree with me. And there's theologians who are faithful and know what they're talking about, biblical scholars who absolutely would disagree with everything I just said. They would say it was poor interpretation. And someday, I'm going to be held for account. I'm going to stand in judgment, maybe today. And I will be held accountable for how I lived as a Christian and how I was as a pastor. And I will have to answer. I will have to answer for how I lived and the fact that I stood up here and I stood up uh, in front of a, a number of people and married two people of the same gender. And I take very seriously the judgment of Jesus. And yes, liberals, Jesus was really judgmental. <laughs> He was extremely judgmental to the religious leaders who used the scripture and their tradition to marginalize people. And on the other hand, Jesus was extremely gracious. Gracious to those who scripture and tradition and religion were used against them to marginalize them. And I don't know about you, but I think that we should take a gamble. That it would be smart and wise and faithful of us to take a gamble. That we, if we learn anything about the way that Jesus is and the way that Jesus has called us to be, that we would stand on the side of those who have been marginalized. Amen. That Jesus would be much more gracious with us for standing beside those who are marginalized 
than those of us who have held strong to the law, held strong to the tra tradition, and held strong to the scriptures in which it marginalized people. I don't know about you, but everything that I know about Jesus tells me to stand alongside the marginalized people. And I don't know who has been marginalized more than the queer community by our church. We have a video. That's enough, that's enough of my sermon. Uh, we have a video of three different people who all three I uh, deeply and greatly admire. And all of them are currently at the place where they probably would 